As we turn to the Word of God, we're opening to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're reading verses 13 through 17 and studying these verses together this morning, and we're praying that these are a blessing and a challenge and glorifying to our Lord. 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have. Again, we've been grateful this morning for the freedoms you give us. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to use these freedoms to do good. Lord, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to the Word, the Word of God, whether we're reading it for ourselves, whether we're hearing it like we are this morning or uh, singing it or praying it. There, we see a lot of information in the Word of God, don't we? There's a lot of of information, a lot of facts, a lot of commands, things that we need to learn and absorb, and we need to make a decision about, are we going to obey what God says, and are we going to do it happily? Uh, But there's a lot of information all around us, isn't there? There, There's so much information all around us going on all of the time, it's really hard to keep up with everything that's happening and everything that's going on all the time. We just don't have the brain power to keep up with all... Well, I don't. Maybe I shouldn't speak for you. (laughs) There is a lot. We hear people telling us all the time, you need to know this. You need to think about this. You need to be aware of this. You need, you need, you need, you need, you need, right? But you know what? It's impossible to keep up with everything that's happening all of the time. We try. We try really hard to keep up with especially the important things like what's going on with the government. That takes some work, doesn't it? <laughs> what did the, the president say or do today? What did the Senate or the House do or not do today? Who, who's in charge? What, what's going on? What laws are they passing? Or the executive branch, what laws are they enforcing or not enforcing? Uh, the judicial side, I mean, it's huge this time of year. This, this is the time of year that decisions get passed down and, and things are happening or not happening, cases they take and they don't take. Things happening all around our nation, girls using boys' restrooms, boys competing against girls for scholarships, and at the Olympics, uh, everyday abortion is still legal, right? Um, the national forests are on fire. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, they're closed. There's so much. The news is constantly flooding us with information. There's a conservative uh, radio talk show that, that, that brags about information overload, Right? <laughs> And that's true. That's what's always happening on TV, on radio, on Facebook, and Twitter, and Instagram, and, and TikTok, and, and all of the rest of them. Yeah, TikTok made a message, right? <laughs> Budgets happening in cities and in states and laws and school districts and county and city. And that's just with the government stuff. What, what's happening at work? What, we try to keep up with work, and, and work is always changing. It's never ending. Supervisors come and go. Policies change, and, and it just gets busier. We never seem to finish all of the work. It's hard to keep up. If you have a job, try to find a job, right? A, a, a good, stable, well-paying job. Or if you own a business, try to find help. <laughs> try to find someone to work 
at this time. If you're going to school, the constant assignments and everything seems to be due at one time and you're wondering if you're ever going to finish it all. But then we get home, right? Oh, home, the time, the place of rest. <laughs> See, some of you are like, huh. Work there is never done either. Your, your husband didn't do this. Your wife didn't say that. <laughs> there are things to discuss. There are decisions to be made. The house is a mess and oh, you've got to make dinner, right? It's got to be quick. It's got to be cheap. It's got to be healthy. <laughs> it's got to be fast. Dinners have to fill everybody up and oh, the kids have all of their activities. You've got to keep up with maintenance on the house, on the appliances, on the yard, on the cars, Right? All of these things we're supposed to be speak, uh, thinking about. Bills are due. A building collapsed in Miami, right? I mean, the, the amazing things that just happen all the time. But then another week has passed and we get ready for church and we come here on Sunday and you hear somebody else telling you more things you need to know, you need to listen to, you need to be aware of. Who can do it all? Who can keep track of all of this stuff all at once, all of the time? Nobody. And here's the truth for many of us. Each of these stations in life that we've just kind of breezed through, government and work and home and church and just being in this hostile world, all of those stations of life can be a source of stress or worry or anxiety or even some of depression. You put it all together and it's more than any of us can think about or handle at any one time. Some of us have strategies that help us manage that. We'll just stick our head in the sand, right? Or we'll ignore certain things or other strategies. Others of us just get consumed with fear or worry or anxiety or anger or even depression. First Peter 2 and into chapter 3 is Peter's Holy Spirit-inspired antidote for anxiety that comes from worrying about what's going on in the government or at work or in the home or in your marriage or at church or in the hostile world or all of these different places. This is the word for us. To boil it all down, and this is what God wants us to be focused on in each of these stations of life rather than all of the things that are happening and going on. What do I really need to be concerned about, right? Peter told us in chapter 1, verse 15, the overarching grand command that God has for our life, which is be holy, right, church? Be holy as God is holy in all of your conduct and in all you do. The pattern of our life is holiness, and it looks like love. And so regarding the government, be holy. Regarding our work, be holy, right? Be, at home, be holy. At church, in this world, and everything. But what does that look like? What does holiness look like for a believer under a human government? What does it look like for a Christian to live as, a, as an employee or a servant, as we have here in 1 Peter and in the New Testament? What does it look like to be holy as a servant or an employee? What does it look like to be a holy Christian wife, even if your husband is not a Christian? What does it look like in your life? That's the section that we're now in in 1 Peter, this really practical section, giving flesh to this skeleton structure of holiness in every station of our life. He's going to describe for us what it looks like in each of those areas of our life. This morning, we're covering human government. Really, the word here for human government refers to all institutions that are set up as authority structures. It really, it includes parents to children, it includes church leaders, it includes uh, the police, it includes business authorities and, and, of course, government authorities. 
all of the institutions that are set up for the purpose of orderly life, that's what Peter's talking about here, particularly government, because that's where he's going to focus more attention on. And so as we're considering what holiness looks like, under a human government, our chief concern is not the latest gossip about which leader said this or did that, right? Our main interest is not the funniest joke about the people, because some people can be easy to poke fun at, right? And, and we're not saying that satire or sometimes sarcasm is unuseful. Those can be useful tools, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But it's not even our primary attention to watch the policies and the laws that are coming, though that's going to be also important for us, or who wins elections or which party is in control. Our number one concern biblically is, verse 13, be subject. It's submission. Be subject to every human institution. And that's the first blank in our notes page there at the top, submit to every human institution, verse 13. That's our overarching command for this passage, for this station of life, really for the whole section, but for this morning for government, for human institution, submit. Submit means to arrange yourself under the direction of. It means here's the human institution, I'm going to place myself underneath them to obey. So I don't have to worry, I don't have to get anxious about the overall direction of government and society and economy and, oh my goodness, what's happened? Guess who's in charge of all of that? It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. (laughs) It's not dictators or monarchs or presidents or despots or um, kings or queens. It's all in God's hands. Now, some of us, when we hear that, we think that, good, that means God's going to maintain all democracies or all republics, or God's going to maintain all capitalistic societies. It doesn't mean that necessarily. It means that God's the one in charge, right? It does mean that you cannot control the forces controlling the macro events of moving entire nations and their economies by getting anxious or by getting worried or even angry. All of history... All of the future and the present are in God's hands, from the smallest details to the largest events and movements of history. It means we need to stop trusting government, even good government. We don't place our trust in human beings or human institutions, and never once in the Scriptures are we commanded to trust anyone or anything other than God Himself. So we need to stop trusting human government and start trusting the God who's in charge of all governments. Daniel 2.20, you have in your notes, it, it says there that it's God who removes kings and sets up kings. Who's the president right now? It's because God said he's going to be the president. And even when they're in power, Daniel 5.23 teaches that God controls the very breath of the king or whoever's in charge and his ways. Everything that he does, everything that she does, if you're in a a government with a woman in control or a man in control or a parliament or a congress. Proverbs 21.1 says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. It's in God's hands. God's got the kings, the queens, the governments in his hand. Job, you remember in Job he's got some friends that say some things and and God rebukes them later. In Job 12.23, this is Job speaking, so what he's going to say is correct, but he says there that God makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. Who's in charge of a nation, whether its leader continues to rule or even breathe? It's God. 
Who rules the rulers of nations? Who rules all of the nations? It's the Lord God. And who decides whether the nation is great or collapses? It's all up to God. So our job is not to worry about what nation might get strong or weak, right? China's growing stronger. That could cause a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry for people. U.S. maybe in some areas seems to be growing a little weaker. We're not worrying. We're not growing anxious or fearful or angry. Our job as part of God's people is to submit to the human institutions over us while we're here. Don't worry about what might happen to earthly human government. This is what holiness looks like for a believer under human government over us. And, and this is interesting that today God has chosen for, for this to be the message on Independence Day here in our country. Now, Peter's going to give us five clarifying explanations to this command to subject or submit to human government institution. But I want to address something that may be on your mind, very, very strongly on your mind if you're listening, if you're tracking along with us, and if you're thinking. You've probably got a big question on your mind. When is it not okay to submit to a government? What about when it's not good to listen to what a human government or institution says? Is it okay to stop listening when they're evil, when they're wicked? Is it okay to rebel against the government then? And as we read First Peter here, we recognize that as Peter writes this letter, the emperor as supreme over the Roman Empire is Nero. And despite recent articles trying to make him appear a little less bad, he was very bad. Uh, he figured out that the use of his, of his possession, uh, position, if I can speak correctly, his position as Caesar was for his own purposes, for his own pleasures. I can get whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. After a few years of ruling, he essentially stopped ruling it led to revolts and rebellions across the empire. And then his fancies started to get act out on stage and in the streets of Rome, and it brought shame on him and the government, and he descended into a mass of hedonism and tyranny. Even as the capital, Rome, burned, he celebrated the reconstruction that would be for all for his glory. And then he blamed Christians for the fire. Peter says, be subject to that government, to that leader. Nero, who would pour tar on Christians and light them on fire to light up his gardens at night, who covered Christians with animal skins and then sicked dogs on them to tear them apart. Um, shortly after writing this, Nero would martyr Peter and Paul. Peter says, submit to that government. Paul says the same thing, submit to that government. We don't even have time to chronicle the pagan governments of Babylon or Medo-Persia who were served by Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, or Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, as we know them sometimes better, or Esther and Mordecai, or Joseph in Egypt. <laughs> I mean, the command of God and the pattern of Scripture has been faithfully and to the best of your God-given ability to serve human institutions of government that are set in place over you, even when you don't like them, even when you don't agree with them. But there are exceptions. But if it's not what kind of government's in place, if it's not whether the government believes in God, if it's not only if they pass moral legislation, what is it? What are the exceptions? The times that Daniel and his friends disobeyed the government, and the times that the apostles disobeyed and did not, did not submit to the government, 
are restricted only to the times when they directly went against God's word. Remember, Daniel served the governments of multiple pagan kings for many years faithfully and loyally in the top echelons of government. Pagan, terrible governments. But when he did not submit to them, it was because they commanded him to break God's word, to break God's law. It was, it was clear commandments from God. He was ordered, start eating this unclean food. He said, no, I'm not going to submit to that. They said, bow to, uh, they said to Daniel, do not pray to any god. He said, no, I can't do that. I, can only, I have to pray to the God, the true and living God. His friends were commanded to bow to an image. They said, no, we can't do that. They were specifically against God's clear and direct commands in His Word. And those were the times they did not submit to the human institutions over them. In fact, they were the only times they did not submit. Because as soon as those events were over, none of them resigned their positions, right? None of them said, forget it. That's, oh, now I see what this government's about. I'm out of here, right? And in fact, it's, it's completely verifiable. You can look in the Old Testament. We have no record of any of them going on Facebook or Twitter and trashing those governments. It's in scriptures. You could find, it's not there, right? They didn't, they didn't do any of that. So not only did they submit all of the time, it was only at those times that they did not submit. They were in full support of a foreign ruling pagan power for the rest of their lives before and after those terrible events when they were commanded to disobey God's word. They were submissive to those governments because that's who God had over them. You say, yeah, but that's Old Testament, <laughs> right? In the New Testament. Peter himself, the same one who wrote this letter, was with the Apostle John, and they were preaching, and the human authorities said, you got to stop preaching Jesus. His answer in Acts 4.19, you know, <laughs> Jesus commanded us to preach in his name, right? Peter says in Acts 4.19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So the principle is there clearly spelled out for us by Peter. When it comes to human institution rather than God, God wins, right? What God says wins in our life. That may lead to beating, imprisonment, even death. That's what happened to St Stephen. It led to his martyrdom. It led to beating and imprisonment for Peter and for John. They brought Peter and John back in, and in Acts 5.29, they said, we told you to stop. <laughs> and Peter says again, we must obey God rather than man. If there's ever a time when what man says goes against what God says, we choose what God says. Every other time, we obey the human institutions over us, and we take whatever consequences come about for obeying God rather than man. As soon as that direct challenge is over, and even during the challenge, we obey all of the rest of the laws of the land that God has us living in. Now, that was tested for many people over the past year during the COVID season, wasn't it? Some Christians or some churches went to way this side of a spectrum and said, whatever the government says, whatever anybody says, I don't care, I'm going to do whatever I want, right? I can't wait for the government to tell me something, I'm going to, I'll give it to them, Right? And then we had people way on the other side, and it's, well, if the government says we can't meet together as a church, I guess we'll never meet again as a church. <laughs> and people were on extreme sides of this, 
the government says this and the Word of God says that, and, and what do we do? What's happening? Most people fell somewhere in the middle. Many of you know that for a few weeks, our church was closed for physical meetings, but we met online for worship. It was, it was a difficult time. But it was because the pastors here take seriously God's command for the church to worship properly, right? To disciple faithfully, to equip continually. We, we take those seriously. The church needs to be the church and needs to meet. But we also took seriously the guidelines, the requests of the human institutions that are over us. We took their guidelines under advisement, and we abided by many restrictions. We were among the last to close. We were among the first to reopen. And that's not bragging, that's just what happened as we evaluated everything in light of both of those truths. Churches were asked not to meet for a time, so we did that. When we were told that it was ultimately up to us whether or when we started to meet, we said, then we're going to meet. <laughs> Praise the Lord, we're going to, let's do that. We believe those decisions honored our Lord Jesus. But we had some people that questioned, you know, why are you risking lives telling people to come to church? Others were questioning, why are you bowing to the liberal agenda, right? You need to sue the government for our rights, to get our rights back. Why can't you be courageous like others and fight and sue? And we had different contexts here in Arizona that didn't require that, praise God. But churches and Christians had to individually weigh submitting to human institutions and being together as a church. Peter says here, submit to these human institutions. God says the church comes together and the church uh, prays together and preaches and sings and serves and worships and all of these things and all, everything that He tells us to do. So we weighed those the best that we could, and Christians have to do the same thing as, as we're told what to do and as, as the Scriptures tell us what to do and as we try to figure out what do I listen to. Even if other churches had to make drastic stands and take those, those strong measures, they still submitted to every authority and every uh, institution except for the parts where they were told to disobey God's Word. None of us were itching for a fight, right? I mean, we weren't just looking for a way to tangle with the government. We had to evaluate in light of the circumstances around us. And so this was tested for many of us, you know, what does it look like to submit to the government, to, to submit to human institutions? The command here is to submit. And we're committed to that because that's what God tells us to do. That's, that's what holiness looks like until it disobeys or contradicts the Word. So be subject to or submit. And Peter's going to explain this, but I have one more thought for us before we get to the five clarifying explanations, because we live in a very unique country. We live in a different kind of, under a different kind of government. It can complicate things for us a little bit. For the vast majority of mankind throughout history, and even in the world today, it's pretty simple. The government says this, you say okay, Right? It doesn't matter what it is, you don't really get to choose what's happening. There's an emperor, there's a dictator, there's a king or someone in charge. You have no voice, you have no choice, you have no vote, you have nothing, right? For the vast majority of people, it's obey, submit, unless it's in contradiction to Scripture. And that's the command whether you live in a tyrannical government, a, a, a communist, a Marxist, a, a socialist, a free, whatever kind of government, that is the command. But what about here in Western countries where, where we have governments that were set up with the express purpose of being made up of people, for the people, by the people, of the people, right? 
We have these, these kinds of governments, particularly in the United States. What does it look like to submit to this kind of government and to still have those kinds of responsibilities? The way that our government is set up actually requires input from the people. In other governments, again, the only input is yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, right? That's your input. The input that is expected here is at very least a vote in who represents you in government. So rather than no voice, the entire structure is contingent on our responsibility to have a voice and to vote for representatives and, and then to express opinions to those representatives as well, right? It's a very different, maybe complicating government that we have. If the government is heading in a direction different from the way that we think it should, not only do we have that voice and voting, we're encouraged in this government to express those opinions to our representatives. But we've got to keep two things in mind with that responsibility, respect and obedience still, right? We'll see in a few minutes we're commanded to be respectful to everyone, including those in government. So even while we're expressing our opinions to them, we're being respectful because we're commanded to. And then obedience. Until a law is changed, we have to obey it until it is changed. Again, unless it goes directly against God's Word. Even if we don't like the law, we have to do it. So if we don't like a law in this country, we can work to have it changed. But until it is, we submit. So we come full circle around. You know, if we don't like the direction of government, we can express our view and fulfill our responsibility in this type of government, in this type of country. But our trust, again, is never in that government, right? Our trust is never in the people around us, the people in the government, the government itself. It's never in ourselves. It's never in our spouses, our friends. It's only ever in Jesus. That's where our trust is. So if we find ourselves fearing or growing anxious or worrying or angry or getting depressed because of the, the state of things and the direction of things and what's happening, we need to examine where our hope is and who we're trusting. Okay, so that's our overarching command with a little bit of extra for our context, right? And so now we're going to look at Peter's five clarifying explanations for this command to submit to every human institution. What is he going to say? He's going to explain this for us. Number one, the first thing we're going to see is the reason to submit to every human institution in verse 13. The reason. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Don't miss the reason that God calls us to submit to every human institution. This isn't for your sake. It's not for my sake. It's for the Lord's sake. What would obeying the government do for our Lord? Why, why would he say submit for the Lord's sake? What would that do for him? See, when we glorify the Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we glorify him by obeying human institution because as we've already seen, God's the one who invented it and he's the one who brought it about. He's the one who installed the government that's over us right now. We saw the verses in Daniel and Proverbs and Job that teach the theology about God's sovereignty over all of that, Right? This is where that theology becomes real. The theology is important, but it's meaningless if we don't do anything with it, right? The usefulness of theology is always the application of that theology in a life. So if God put the government in, in place over us from the inception of government all the way down to who's in office or who's in the positions that they're in, and if we serve that God willingly and we trust in Him, then we submit to the government that He put in place. 
And it's because we trust in God that we submit (laughs) to that government. We may love our country and we submit to our country, but what happens if the country changes? Well, you still submit to the country. Well, we, we are commanded to because our trust is in the Lord, not in the government. You say, well, this seems kind of hard. Peter doesn't say it's going to be easy, does he? He doesn't say this is always easy. But the more trust we have in the Lord God, the easier this will become for us. The sense here is not decide to obey, and then that's it. That's as far as it goes. He says, basically, we need to realize God's work in putting this government together and be supportive of it. Place yourself there. He says, submit to it for the Lord's sake. We all already fall under the authority of government. You can decide not to obey, especially in your heart. But Peter is emphasizing that heart aspect here. Submit yourself. Be be subject to them. Arrange yourself under the direction of the government for the sake of the Lord because he put that government there. He placed this government in the place that it's in, in authority for the purpose of a stable society. So if you're fighting against the government, you're fighting against God's work. You say, well, that's a leap. That's a logical leap there, but that's what Proverbs 24 says. <laughs> Proverbs 24, 21 and 22 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. Don't be part of those who will do otherwise, for disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come upon them both. When you stop fearing the king and the Lord, disaster and ruin will come. So it's for the Lord's sake, because of his provision of that government, submit. It's the same conclusion that Paul had in Romans 13. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Why? Why, Paul? There are terrible governments in place. He says, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. God takes our submission to the human institutions, like government, very seriously. And it's for the Lord's sake that we submit, because He's over that government. But it's also for the Lord's sake because, as we said, this is what holiness looks like. And verse 12 says, when we're living holy, honorable lives... Gentiles, people who don't believe in the Lord, will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When God visits them for either wrath or judgment, brings them the gospel, they'll see our good works and they'll be attracted to the holy conduct of God's people. People are supposed to see Christians as those characterized by good, honorable, holy conduct. And it's attractive in its purity. So we submit to every human institution because of our Lord. It's for His sake because He installed it and because it brings others to Him. It draws others to Him. There's a second explanation for this command. Number two, verses 13 and 14, we see the range, the range of submission to every human institution. We see the word every before the words human institution. That sort of introduces the the extent, the scope, the range of this, right? Now, again, we've focused on government because that's where Peter focuses a lot of his attention, but the word is not exclusive to government. As we said, it can include the institution of the family, marriage, the church, human institutions, submit to them. 
More examples will come in the following passages. But here in the government, Peter portrays government control at all levels. He says, whether to the emperor, it's the word, it's the same word for king, the one who has absolute authority and sovereignty in his jurisdiction or, or her jurisdiction for, for a queen, whether to him as supreme or to governors. Governors was a, a term for those who ruled, but in a li- in more limited sense. They didn't have absolute authority. They ruled over a portion, a province, a piece of the kingdom, and they were subordinate to the king. They had more reach into local matters and smaller matters. They, they rewarded those who did good. They punished those who did bad, right? So the sense that Peter gives us is from top to bottom. All of it, all levels of local, national government submit. Again, from your heart for the Lord's sake. We don't exclude different parts or choose what to obey. It's the full range. But the way Peter describes governors is interesting. He says that there are those who punish those who do evil, the evildoers. It's the same word that people slander Christians in verse 12. The evildoers, they punish those and praise those who do good. That's why they exist. That's why government even exists to begin with. So notice carefully that it is biblically legitimate for government to punish those who do evil. Uh, punishment for criminal activity is not wrong, right? Some people want to propose new theories of rehabilitation or reform that's not punitive. And those are good ideas. Those can be helpful. But it's not wrong for the government to punish evildoers. That's legitimate for the government to do. That's part of what God expects them to do. Now, they're also supposed to praise those who do good. Now, many times we may think the government doesn't do a very good job of praising those who do good, but there are a lot of awards out there, civic awards and rewards for recognition for work done in the community and and helping people. But even if they don't do that, even if they're not doing their job, God doesn't say, well, then you're off the hook. No. He says we submit to them. We don't have the God-given role of praise enforcement, right? (laughs) You didn't praise him for doing this, I'm going to come after you. No. (laughs) we know that we have a reward in heaven regardless of whether it's ever recognized here on earth. In the meantime, we submit to local and national human institutions from top to bottom for the Lord's sake. There's a third clarifying explanation here in verse 15. Peter says the result of submitting to every human institution. He talks about the result here as if to sharpen the point on the result of submission, Peter explicitly reveals how all of this is part of God's declared will for our life. This is the will of God. What is it? That by doing good, we, His people, should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. What what is this talking about? He says, again, there are God's people, you all, this is plural in verse 15, and there are foolish people who are speaking in ignorance. Now, this is partly where we understand that Peter's audience was not yet being persecuted against by the government. This was people saying things about them. This was that culture war aspect. It's not beatings and imprisonment on a large scale yet. But the people who are talking are said to be foolish. And what Peter is saying here, in a spiritual sense, they have no wisdom. They have no light of enlightenment from the Lord. <clears throat> Peter's not launching an ad hominem attack against people, calling them names, right? He's like, ah, those bunch of fools, you know, he's not, he's not calling them names, he's not making fun of them, 
He's expressing the truth about them spiritually that they are foolish. They don't have the light of wisdom, the wisdom of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't have that. So they act out what's true of them. You have in your notes Luke 40 and Luke 12 where Jesus called people the same thing. Jesus called people fools in this spiritual sense. Paul makes the connection even more obvious in Ephesians 5.17. He tells us to walk wisely, making the best use of the time. Therefore, do not be foolish, but the opposite of foolishness is, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there's, there are opposites, the, the spiritual enlightenment of the gospel and, and the Lord's will that we obey Him, and then there's the foolishness, the, the spiritual side of disobeying God, rebelling against God. That's the opposite. People in the world don't know or care to know what the Lord's will is. So Peter says there are those people who are foolish. It's because of their spiritual condition. They're the ones who speak in ignorance, he says. They don't know what they're talking about. They're calling Christians evildoers when Christians, if we're submitting to the government, are doing good. We're we're living holy lives. But notice that it's God's will that they be silenced. It's God's will that those people, the foolish people speaking in ignorance, be silenced. How do we do that? Lash out at them? Come up with really smart arguments? Come up with funny things to say about those people? No. He says, doing good. That's God's will for how they will be silenced. The context for doing good is directly connected with submitting to human government. But if that's all that Peter meant, he could have just said that. See, the idea here is bigger than just obeying the law of the land. Remember, the goal for Christians is not just basic obedience, right? It's legalism. It's just do this and don't do that. But holiness, as God is holy in all of our conduct, obeying the law is the least of that, right? I mean, that's the bottom, the very basic, bare minimum starting point for believers. Yes, we obey the law, but our overall pattern of life is defined by doing good continually in holiness for God by His grace. That's what silences the ignorance of foolish people, and that's what accomplishes God's will. Are we trying to accomplish God's will, brothers and sisters, or are we fighting against it? We want to see God's will accomplished. If we do, then we submit to the government. And we continue on from there in a life of holiness as Jesus enables us. That will muzzle or silence any kind of ignorance of foolish people. That's what God's will is. So the result of submitting to every human institution is seeing God's will accomplished. There's a fourth clarifying explanation for this command to submit. Number four, in verse 16, we see the responsibility for submitting to every human institution. Verse 16, the ESV has the word live. It kind of gives us the idea that this is a new command. This is is a separate command. Live as people who are free, living as servants of God. But the verb live is actually provided by the translators. It's not there in the original. What Peter has done is, again, he's given us this really long sentence. It started back in verse 13. It goes through the end of verse 16 here. So the translators broke it up a little bit, make it a little bit easier for us to understand. And since you can't have a sentence without a verb in verse 16, they've put these verbs in here for us to understand. The sentence actually, again, begins in verse 13 where we started, but this, this part of the sentence is, for this is the will of God, 
that by doing good, you all should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as servants of God. So it's not really drastically changing the meaning of the sentence to put those words live and living in there. I just wanted to point it out for our proper understanding that this is directly related. It's not a new command. It's not a new verb here. Our freedom in verse 16 points back to the doing good of verse 15. We, as people who are free, are now the people who are doing good. We're now free to do good. As opposed to the people who are tearing us down and need to be silenced because of their ignorance and foolishness. Those people cannot be those who do good because they don't even understand what the will of the Lord is and what it means to be good. So there's freedom now for us. Christians are those who are truly free. Christians in any part of the world, under any kind of government, are those who are truly free. Not free like we think of here in the West, right? Freedom like we think of is, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, because I, I want, right? It can be good, it can be bad, but don't tell me anything else because I'm going to do whatever I want to do. The truth is that true freedom in the New Testament comes from God and is eternal. John eight thirty six. if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You have real freedom, brother and sister, in Jesus Christ. But real freedom is not freedom to obey or disobey, to do good or to do bad anytime you want. Freedom in one is slavery to it. <laughs> it it's, it's, it's slavery to it and then freedom into it. You're saying, what are you talking about? Turn with me back to Romans chapter 6 so we can see this. I want you to see this so that you understand that I'm not making this up, <laughs> and, and we're not saying what the Scripture doesn't say. In Romans 6, Paul is going to be addressing freedom for us. What, what, is it, what does he mean that we're free? In verse 12, he says, Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 14, sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Verse 15, what then? So what are we supposed to do? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Paul's saying, do we just get to sin all we want? It's just freedom, right? We're free in Christ. I can do all the bad stuff I want to do. No, by no means, he says. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Do you see any other option in that verse? <laughs> we are either slaves of sin, which leads to death, or, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, that's the gospel, and have become slaves of righteousness. And, and jump over to verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were a slave of sin. You didn't have to do anything good. Because all you could ever do was sin, right? But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal 
life. Wow, praise God for that. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's freedom. (laughs) That's what the New Testament means by freedom. You only have two options. You're free either to sin all you want or to do all the good that you can and want and desire to do. Our, Our identity has changed into God's servants. We are now free to do His good for His glory. He's given us that kind of freedom. And our responsibility that comes with that freedom is to do God's will by growing in holiness, by doing more and more and more good. We don't abuse our freedom. That's what using our freedom as a cover-up for evil means. Last week we said there are times when some of us say, I'll do whatever I want, right? And that's a, that's a cover or excuse for not doing good. Peter here says it for us. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't, we don't do that. That's not freedom. That's being enslaved to sin all over again, right? As free people in Jesus, then, we have a responsibility to our new good master, our new good Lord, Jesus Christ, God himself. And so that's the responsibility there. So after giving us four clarifying explanations to submitting to every human institution, there's the reason, there's the range, there's the result and the responsibility he finally gives us, number five, the review of submitting to every human institution. Here's the review in verse 17, or the summary of all of it. If we did verse 17, we'd get it right. (laughs) This is the review. There's something for everybody all around you in these four rapid-fire commands. And the grammar seems to point to the aspect of, okay, begin now to do this and keep on doing this. Number one, honor everyone. Honor or value everyone. The obligation God sets before Christians is to see all people as worthy of honor or respect. Why? I don't even like all people, (laughs) we think, right? Each person was made individually and purposely by God in His image. So everyone is worthy of honor. We don't view people as economic engines. (laughs) We don't see people as resources or tools to accomplish our own ends. We don't evaluate the worth of people based on how much trouble they are to keep around or whether they could sustain themselves without intervention. We, We don't value people that way. We value, we respect, we honor Everyone, that's something that starts in our hearts and comes out in our words and actions. Wait, I have to honor lawyers, politicians, and doctors? Peter's not saying you have to agree with them all. He's not saying you have to like everything that they do. But they're all to be treated respectfully, valued, and honored as human beings. You know, nobody exists. This is news for some of us sometimes. No one exists for your own comfort or for your desires. And none of us would say that. You know, of course I don't think that, right? But when I need help and I call somebody and they don't come right away, what's wrong with you, (laughs) right? I called you, come here. And somebody doesn't answer us the way that we want or, or say something or do something for us, what we're expecting or what we want. And we get angry about that. We're betraying our belief that we see them as people who are there for us. You exist for me. Why why weren't you waiting for me to call you, right? Every 
person is an individual created in the image of God. They're worthy of value and respect and honor. Even when they're totally wrong about how to run a government or an economy, (laughs) even when they're rooting for the wrong team or when they're voting the wrong way, we honor, we value everyone. This applies to every person all around us. Second, he says, love the brotherhood. Peter's talking about one another. Here we go with the one another's again, right? If everybody deserves honor and value and respect, the brothers and sisters here deserve even more. The people here deserve love. Galatians 6.10 tells us, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. Our duty and responsibility as part of God's people is to love the people that Jesus loves. (laughs) And we don't really know or love our Lord unless we are loving His people, right? The New Testament teaches us this. This is how we are to be recognized. Jesus says in John 13, 35, they'll know you're my people because you vote this way, right? No, because of your love for one another. Third, fear God. Reverentially, fearfully impressed by God, (laughs) I mean, be in awe, be, be trembling before God. If there's a missing ingredient in the life of the church, in worship, in life, in, in what we do, this is it, fearing God. We may hear people talking about, you know, you need to love everybody, you need to be respectful of everybody, right? <laughs> be respectful to government leaders. We may hear all of those things, but we'll not hear very often, fear God. And many times it's just something that's mentioned occasionally, (laughs) if at all. But if we don't get this command right, we're not going to get the other commands right either. Everything that we're talking about here begins with the fear of God. Why are we fearing government? Because of government's sake? No, it's for the Lord's sake, because we fear the Lord, right? The fear of God, Proverbs 1-7, is the beginning of wisdom. Why don't we have much wisdom in the church sometimes? because we haven't started with a proper fear of God. The proper fear of God is a healthy fear. It's a recognition of His holiness, His indescribable power. It's awe at His enormity, His transcendence, His purity, His eternality. I mean, all of the attributes of God that we just, I mean, it, it blows our mind. When we think about Him, when we're, when we're fearing Him, it causes us to tremble. It causes us to be in fear, not terror, Right? We, we're not running away from God. Jesus has brought us near to the Father by His blood. And he, He's brought us near so that we are His children. But even as children, sometimes they see their parents and they see them do things that they could never do. And they, they're afraid of their parents with a healthy fear. That's what we're after. Our God can do things that we could never understand. He is doing things that we'll never here on earth understand. It causes us to fear Him. When we get that right, these others will begin to fall into place. Fourth, um, finally, he says, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. It's the same word that he used for everyone. But just in case we thought, you know, maybe the emperor, maybe the king, maybe the, uh, the terrible dictator, he's excused. It's included, honor the emperor. People love to hate the one that's in charge, right? They love to hate, I mean, just pour on insults and make fun and poke fun and all that. It's especially true in a government like ours where people vote and we have a voice and we can, we can have opinions. <laughs> it's especially difficult in, in contested elections like the one that we saw not too long ago, right? But he says, from the heart, 
honoring, respecting, valuing the person who is in government, the people who are in government. That's part of what holiness looks like among God's people. The baseline for that, the baseline for holiness is submission, obedience, honor, respect, value. Again, not accepting the sin, but as people made in God's image. The intensified commands are for God's people. Love God's people. Fear God Himself. So our ultimate allegiance to God as the one that we fear, the one who saved us and is saving us and will save us, the one that we glorify, does not negate our responsibility to government. It requires it. Right? Because we fear God, we honor the emperor, we love one another, and we honor and respect everybody. So our application... What do we need to do with this today on Independence Day as we consider our nation, as we consider our support of this and and living in this nation? What do we need to do as a result of this message this morning? Repent first of any sins of not submitting to government or other institutions, right? This wasn't limited to just government. But the first thing we need to do is recognize, look, if I have not been submitting to government. I need to repent of not submitting to the government. Secondly, we need to repent of not placing our trust in God. You know, my trust may have been in government. My trust may have been in the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. My trust may be in a, in a document or in people or in anything on this earth. That's not where our trust belongs. It's wrongly placed anywhere other than God. So if we've been trusting in a person or a paper, or a government. We, we need to repent of that. We're commanded to trust the Lord. Number three, we need to repent of any sins of not treating people with respect. If we've been putting people down, it's funny to make fun of people to us in our flesh. <laughs> but we need to repent of not treating people with respect. And again, it's okay to use satire and things, right? Those can be useful tools in expressing opinions. But if we're not being respectful to people, we're disobeying our Lord who made those people in His image. Those are the things we need to put off. Those are things we need to put away. Repent of those things. What do we put on instead? Verse 17, (laughs) we fear God. We honor everyone. We love one another. We fear God. We honor everyone. We love one another. I mean, Peter gives us the summary and the application all in verse 17. If we want to get this right, we put off all of the stuff we've been doing wrong, and we put on this for God's glory. Father, we praise you that you are glorious, that you are sovereign, that you are so powerful. God, we thank you that you're so good. Lord, there are so many people in this world, there are so many governments in the world, God, that oppress, that restrain God, that hold back, that hold down, God, that, that treat people terribly. Lord, they, we would not want to live in so many of the countries in this world. God, thank you for the country that we live in. Thank you for brothers and sisters who do live in those other countries. Father, we lift them up to you. We pray for them. We pray that you would sustain them and grow them in their love, their faith in you. God, I pray that you would teach us to, to have a better sense of of honoring all people and respecting all people. A better sense, Lord, of living in this kind of government where we have a voice, Lord. I pray that we would express that voice. 
Lord, somehow in your sovereignty, you've got it all under control. You have it all in your hands, yet you use the prayers of your people. You use the decisions of your people in voting and expressing opinions, Lord, to influence government leaders. Lord, we, we can't figure out how, how all that works, how it fits together, but we trust you that you do have it all together. We pray for our government, Lord, the, the people that are filling the positions, Father. We pray for their hearts and mind to be humbled before you. We pray that they would recognize that they are sinners in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would change their hearts and minds to be focused on your glory instead of either their own or continued power or whatever motivates people, Lord. We, we pray that all of that would be smashed. God, that you would bring repentance and, and a restoration of your gospel, the importance of truth. God, we... We pray that for your glory, but God, even if you don't do that, Lord, we pray that that would be true in our lives. God, that we would be living holy lives under this government. Father, we, we'd be submitting, we'd be obeying. God, if it comes to a time where we cannot obey, that we cannot submit, Father, I pray that you would give us courage, that you'd give us strength and a boldness in love and respect. God, that we would refuse to listen to man rather than God. But Lord, in the meantime and, and in the in-between time, God, we pray that you would teach us how to submit, how to live those lives of holiness that are attractive to people and that bring glory to you. Lord, we pray that you would use us to make disciples. Father, that we would be focused on the most important things, that we'd not be anxious or worried or angry or depressed about what's happening around us in our country, in the world. Father, that we would trust in you completely. We praise you. We thank you that you are trustworthy. We lift up your name. We exalt you. We sing to you now. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.